just want to say hello to everybody watching online. And also, I want to say a special hello to our jail campus and everybody over there. Church, let's welcome in them as part of our church family. And before I get into our key text this morning, I want to recap everyone in case you've missed a week or two of this series. Um, Joshua is the leader of the nation of Israel at this moment in their history. Joshua is leading the children of Israel into the promised land. So they've seen some really cool things happen. I would have loved to have lived in this time period. I've never seen miracles quite like this. But they literally walked across a river, a raging at flood stage. It stopped flowing. Power of God stopped it, and they walked across on dry ground. Pretty cool. Uh, Then there's this huge city called Jericho. Many of you have heard, or at least heard the song, Joshua, Fifth Battle of Jericho. I mean, these massive walls, and they just literally just crumbled down, not because they shot, you know, rocket launchers at them or anything cool like that. They did something kind of unconventional. They just marched around the city, and they did exactly what God told them to do. And it was God's power alone that just brought these walls down. Pretty cool. Um, And then, really, I didn't even realize this until I really dug in and began to study for this message. There were 31 kings captured and then killed because of their rebellion against Israel. Israel walked in and said, look, this is our promised land. You can get out or we're going to kill you, right? So they left and ran or whatever, but most of them were captured. I mean, 31 territories were conquered by the Israelites. Just a massive uh, area of land that was conquered by the power of God. And now, at this stage, where we're about to, uh, about to dive in, the land has been divided as spoils of war between the tribes of Israel. And not only have they now divided the land among their tribes, but they've undergone a season of rest. So they finally stopped the fighting, right? They've stopped all of that, and it's a season of rest. The land is rested, the people of God are rested. And in the last chapter of Joshua is where we pick up, and it's where Joshua renews the covenant between God and his people. It's a fresh start. Chapter 24, verse 1, it says, Then Joshua summoned all the tribes of Israel to Shechem, including their elders, leaders, judges, and officers. So they came and presented themselves to God. So Joshua here is addressing the entire nation, hundreds of thousands, probably more like millions of people in the promised land. And Joshua calls them all together to a place called Shechem. And he says, I'm going to address the entire nation. The Bible says that Joshua is stricken in age at this point in his life, which is just the Bible's way of saying he's an old dude, right? He's like a really old guy. I can see he's probably like physically looking old at this point. And he is um, still got something in his heart that he knows God wants him to say. So he's choosing to address the entire nation. Pretty cool. It's kind of like a State of the Union address, like we've seen President Trump do, right? The President Trump. I doubt that Joshua gained any Twitter followers, though, like President Trump does when he gives his speeches. I just highly doubt that. They don't have Twitter, okay? Just a pastor joke, sorry. All right. And it's important to take notice, though, where Joshua chose to have this meeting. It's really cool. I don't know if if you've heard of the place that they gathered before. It's a place called Shechem. This is the exact location where God confirmed his covenant with Abraham. I mean, this is where it all got started. I want to take you there real quickly. Genesis chapter 12, verse 6 through 7. Abram traveled through the land as far as Shechem. There he set up camp beside the oak of Morah. At that time, the area was inhabited by Canaanites. Well, not no more, right? 
Then the Lord appeared to Abraham and said, I will give you this land. I will give it to your descendants. And Abraham built an altar there and dedicated it to the Lord who had appeared to him. So this is where God shows up in Abraham's life for the first time and then confirms the calling. Later on, Jacob is the grandson of Abraham. He returns to Shechem, and the Bible says that he returns there to purchase some land. So he goes, he goes to buy land, and then after he buys it, it says that he set up an altar immediately, and he calls the place El Elohe Israel, which means God is the God of Israel. So this is a place historically rich with heritage, right? It's a place where it's already known throughout the generations to be a place of calling, a place of sacrifice, a place of extreme devotion and commitment. So it's no, it's no uh, mistake that Joshua chooses this place of all places to gather all the tribes together and to address everyone because he is about to call them to a full-out, all-in, 100% commitment to their God. I just think it's awesome that Joshua, I, I guess maybe it's just me, I'm, I'm a, a sentimental person. I don't know if you're like me, but it's so cool to know that where they are about to recommit their lives to Christ is the place where it all began. It's the very place where the promise was first ever given. And I just love that because, you know, me and my wife actually just started to do something kind of cool. Um, we've been doing it ever since our, uh, our first date, well, not our first date, but the date that it became official when I asked her to be my girlfriend. Okay, so basically it was, the, it was the day that we took our Facebook profile and put in a relationship, right? And it became official. It's an important day to a woman, I found out, right? So I know now, and I got to say this right because my wife is here, August 14th, 2013 was when I asked her to be my girlfriend. Man, what a lucky dude, right? I mean, she obviously said, yeah, I'll be your girlfriend, and she's still my girlfriend. But what we do is... We, um, we, we reenact the first, like we reenact August 14th every year. So in addition to our marriage anniversary, we kind of have a dating anniversary, right? And so what we do is we, we try to put on the same clothes that we wore on that first date. I got the jeans out. I remember like two years into marriage, I got the jeans out. And I'm like, nah, these ain't going to work anymore. I'm not wearing these. And then we, we tried, we even ordered, we ordered the same food. We got a, I got a pizza that night. It's the same pizza. We still get it from Papa John's, the Memphis barbecue pizza. Holy cow, is it good. It's so good. And then we get the, uh, the first time we got the, uh, the orange soda, the orange crush, and the glass bottles. So we could be cool. We're like, clink, you know, and, you know, because we're like, you know, poor college kids. So we're like, man, we feel really rich and this is awesome. So we got a pizza. We got the glass bottles of orange soda. We still get the same food. We still wear the same clothes. We go to the same place. I remember that night we danced under the stars. We still do that. But there's something so cool and so powerful about going back to where it all began. Every time we do this, it, it, it brings the feelings back. Like it just being in that physical location just reminds you how it all got started. It's so cool. And so Joshua is doing this very thing in their relationship with Yahweh. They're going back to where it all began. And they're going back physically to the place where it all got started. It's so cool. I don't go back physically anymore, but spiritually and mentally, I go back to the place where I met God in a real powerful way for the very first time. The moment I entered into a relationship with Christ where God revealed himself to me in a powerful way and I knew he was God and I knew I wanted to follow him, I can picture it in my mind. I can see myself physically there. And it's important for us, I think, to just take the time to go back to where it all began. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want us to go back to where it all started. I want us to, to evaluate our faith in a way where we can say, you know what, 
I remember why I chose to follow God in the first place. I remember who he is and why I chose to follow him. So Joshua calls everyone to Shechem, and it's for this reason. He wants to remind everyone about the generosity of their God. And he wants to remind them of the promise that they are about to inherit. And in verse 14 of chapter 24, it says, So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt, and serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your, your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Because they did. Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live in now? We defeated them too. But as for me and my family, we will serve the Lord. That last verse you've probably seen on pictures. You've probably seen um, you know, pretty much anywhere. I know we have it on a cross in our bathroom. And it's a really cool statement, right? It makes us feel really uh, just pleased with our decision. And it reminds me when I see it that for me and my family, I choose to serve the Lord. And so Joshua is encouraging everyone in this moment to make a commitment. So he's not just saying, hey, I'm really proud of everyone for making a commitment today and for, a be- for being committed people. He's just going, sh- cutting right to the chase and saying, I'm happy with, with everything we've done, but right now we need to look at where we're going. And in order to move forward, we need to commit again. We need to commit our lives to Jesus Christ. There's, he's, just, he's addressing each of them and saying, we need to commit ourselves to God. So he says to them, it's time for you to decide for yourself. What is it going to be? Are you going to just be okay with being here physically, or are you ready to enter into the promise spiritually? And I just, I just believe that a good leader does this well. Like, I'm learning as a pastor now, especially um, learning from Pastor Josh, that a good pastor does something really, really well, and it's comforting. They need to be able to comfort the afflicted, but then they need to be able to afflict the comfortable. Make sense? You got to be able to step on toes a little bit sometimes because Pastor Josh is not afraid to step on my toes. He's not afraid to call me out when he sees a blind spot. A good leader, especially a good pastor, has to be able to do this well. And I just want to take a minute and honor our lead pastor, Pastor Josh, for being willing to do this. He has seen me doing what I'm doing now years ago. And he was able to say, hey, I know where you're going, but there's some things that are holding you back. Allow me to step in and be your pastor and help you remove some of these things from your life. This is what Joshua is doing of the Bible. This is exactly what he's doing to the nation of Israel. It's awesome how he's stepping in and saying, look, physically we're here in the promise, but I don't want us to just be okay with inheriting the promise. I want us to become the promise. Amen? And so that's exactly what I think God wants to speak to us this morning through this story. So as Joshua examines the people of Israel... He gives them the choice to serve. And that's the choice we all have this morning, don't we? We have the choice to either serve God or the choice to serve ourselves. And we know full well that if we choose not to serve God, then really we're serving ourselves. So he challenges them and calls them out, serve the Lord, fear the Lord today. He explains why they must make the commitment. And in verse 14, he tells us exactly what the commitment looks like. Verse 14 says this, if you could throw that up. It says, so fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Go ahead and like underline that or circle that word wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worship when they lived beyond the Euphrates River 
and in Egypt and serve the Lord alone. So there's three things he calls out there. And if we're being honest with ourselves, I believe Joshua might be saying the same thing to us if he were to be addressing this crowd this morning. Three things. The first thing he says is to fear the Lord. Fear the Lord. We've heard this probably numerous times, but I want us to really take a minute to understand what it means to fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord is, is recognizing the infinite nature of who he is and then respond to him with appropriate action. So fearing the Lord is when we go from just being impressed with, wow, God is good, God is great, God created the universe. This is, it's, it goes from being impressed to invested. Whenever you believe in something and you respect something, you're willing to invest in it. I think of my children. There's nothing I won't give to my, like, I want, my, I want the most for my children. I want to raise them up to be God-fearing, and because I love them, I'm willing to invest in them financially, emotionally, physically. There are days, I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old, and somebody, somebody agree with me this morning, I go to bed exhausted sometimes. But it's so worth it because I believe in them. That's what it means to have a fear and reverence of someone. It means to value them so much, to recognize who they are, and to be willing to invest. So I, I think we need to ask ourselves this morning, do I fear the Lord? Because my, my first instinct reading through this portion of Scripture was to get defensive and to say, of course I fear the Lord. I mean, I'm a pastor, of course. I, I, I should fear the Lord, right? But as we examine this, I think when it comes to God and church, we can evaluate our lives and ask us, are we, on, are we just standing on the sidelines or are we a part of the action? Are we really invested in what God is calling us to do, or are we just wanting to be a spectator? I talk to students a lot, and I, I like to say it this way. Are you putting your faith into motion? Because faith that's stagnant changes nothing. Ultimately, faith that does nothing is not faith, because faith requires action. So are you putting your faith in motion? It's a question we can ask ourselves. The very next thing Joshua says is, give God your whole heart. He's calling them to serve wholeheartedly. Give God your whole heart. This is a call to complete devotion. And if we are biblical Christians, I want us to understand that biblical Christianity is more than just a religious view. I believe biblical Christianity is a worldview. The difference being that it changes the way we see the world. If our faith is not changing the way we see people, in the way we see the world that we live in, then we need to evaluate whether or not our level of devotion is at fearing the Lord and giving Him our whole heart. Are you with me? God wants our whole hearts. I think today, somebody in this room is going to take God out of the friend zone and allow Him to just have complete access to our hearts. Give Him total control and total surrender. The very next thing Joshua says then is to put away forever the idols in your lives. So idols are things that stand between us and God. Again, we all can think of some things that might be standing between us and God, or at least have the potential 
to stand between us and God. And this is why Joshua says, put them away. He challenges them. Just take whatever it is that stands between you and God and put it away. Has anyone ever seen the show American Idol? Probably 100% of us have at least seen, okay, 0% of us. Raise your hand if you've seen American Idol. Okay, that's better. American Idol is like, I mean, it kind of started this reality TV phenomenon. I mean, from that show, I don't know how many seasons there's been, too many, if you ask me, but there's, there's been so many seasons of it, but it started, America's Got Talent, Britain's Got Talent, there's Last Comic Standing, there's, you know, cooking shows now that are like premiering these, you know, executive chefs after they win a cooking competition. I mean, it, it, it's out of control, but really, America's obsessed with this idol, this American icon mentality. And so what an idol really does is it, 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 it causes us to see that person or that thing as the standard for the life we desire. Think about that person who wins American Idol. They get that ticket or whatever, and, it's, and they come out and say, I'm going to Hollywood. And they go crazy, and they dance around, and it's like, and it really what it does is it paints this picture that they were nothing, but now that they're going to Hollywood, now they're something. And, it, and, and the, the entertainment industry loves, to, loves these stories, these Cinderella stories, gets a hold of, of somebody who was, you know, just financially, you know, um, just poor or didn't have anything. And now because they're going to Hollywood and Hollywood got a hold of them and trained them and they have this talent, now they have arrived. And so we start looking at what they wear. We start paying attention to how they act, like not just what, the way they dress, but how they wear what they're wearing. Like we go and spend more for something that's got holes and stuff in it just because someone else is wearing it, right? This is what we do. Like it, it's okay. We see these people and they become an idol, right? We may, we may not realize it, but America is worshiping this person or this thing or this lifestyle. So I'm not saying that we are worshiping the American idol, but what I am saying is I think everyone in here can at least think of something in your life that Joshua might be able to point out and say, that is in competition with God. Sports. I know I'm going to step on toes because I'm a huge sports fan. If I care more about sports than I care about God, meaning that I care more about making sure I can make it to the games, care more about making sure I can make it to kickoff, making sure I, if I got to leave church early to, <laughs> to get there for a kickoff, I will. Making it about the source of life. If sports, relationships, entertainment, social media, if these things become the source of life, let me tell you what it does. It makes God jealous. You don't want to make God jealous. God is pursuing us. He's chasing after us. And he wants us to come to him, the true source of life. I don't think he wants us to be checking our Facebooks for validation. Please, I hope somebody liked my post. Please, I hope somebody saw what I was wearing at church. Please, I hope somebody, I want to just be noticed. I want, like, if we are living our lives on a device and drawing our source of life and our, and our happiness from that, Instead of God, it makes God so jealous. And why does it make him jealous? Because he wants you. He doesn't want you to want anything other than him. He knows he is the source of life. Let me give you an example with my little girl. She's three years old. If I invited um, some family friends over to my house and my little girl walked up to that gentleman and asked for a hug, that's going to make me jealous. I'm going to say, no, 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 no. You get your hugs from daddy, Madeline. You don't need a hug from this guy, even if it is a family friend, right? That's how it would make me feel. 
That's exactly, I think, how God feels about his children. The moment you go to something else and say, this is where I'm going to draw the source of life. This is, I can't live, I have to have this, whatever it is, fill in the blank. I have to have this in my life in order for me to be happy, in order for me to be fulfilled. I have to have this. And God is saying, no, all you need is me. Amen? It's not just people. It can be things like I mentioned, sports, relationships, entertainment, social media, there are so many different things that can quickly become obsessions. And this is exactly what happens with the idols if we don't put them away. They become unhealthy obsessions. This is why celebrities have to have walls around their homes, right? Because people are crazy and they will stalk celebrities because they care so much about who they are. This is why um, there's, there's laws in our nation for blood alcohol content, right? Because it's not only dangerous for you, it's dangerous for everyone else to abuse and overuse something because you have to have it in your life to feel joy. You have to have it in your life to feel love and happiness. And that is not the way. God has a better way. Amen? God is the only source of life. So anything that we overindulge or abuse in order to find our happy place or our inner joy is committing idolatry. So Joshua simply says, look, Get rid of these things. They are dangerous, and only God can sustain you, and he's worthy of worship. Let's look in verse 16 how the people respond to kind of this tense moment. I can already feel it in here. This tense moment where he just calls them out on their crap, and they're just going, yo, bro, like, this old dude just read our mail, and they didn't like it. I'm assuming they didn't like it, but... Let's look at how they respond. We would never abandon the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord, our God, is the one who rescued us, and he rescued our ancestors from slavery in the land of Egypt. He performed mighty miracles before our eyes. As we traveled through the wilderness among our enemies, he preserved us. It was the Lord who drove out the Amorites and the other nations living here in the land. So we too will serve the Lord, for he alone is our God. So they're saying, sure, yeah, we definitely want to serve God. We, like, they just list all the things that he's done for them. He's done this for me, right? He's done this. He's done this. He's performed this miracle. He even did it for our ancestors. He, he did it for us. Why wouldn't we serve God? But Joshua hears something in their response that I think you might have caught on to as well. So Joshua questions them, why exactly do you want to serve the Lord? Because in verse 19, Joshua says, he says he warned the people you are not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy and jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn against you and destroy you, even though he has been so good to you. Sounds to me like they really want the promise. They really want the promised land. They really want the blessings and all the perks. But Joshua is saying, are you after the promise or are you going with me after the God of the promise? This morning, are we after the perks? Are we after heaven? Or are we after our Savior, Jesus Christ? So the warning is, you are not able. Terrible title to a message. I would never want to stand up here this morning and say, the title of my message is, you suck. <laughs> I would not do that, right? But for me to put myself in their shoes, that's exactly how I would feel like. 
well, it's time to give up. But they don't do this. Because Joshua is not saying they suck. He's saying, you are not able, but you are capable. You are capable of doing this, guys. But I love you enough, and I have compassion on you enough to, to say, if you fully commit, if you fully commit yourselves to God and serve him faithfully, you can do it. But there's some issues in your life. You're capable right now, but you're not able right now. So there's some things that you've got to put away. There's some things you've got to get rid of. And I'll never forget the time when I first started out in my career and I felt like I was capable, but I was not able. I'll never forget there was a, a, a crew chief that I worked with for the first time in land surveying. And so I, I had just gotten out of the truck. I was my first day. I'm trying to really prove myself. And this crew chief I was working with, he's older. He kind of had like this, this rough attitude, like this punk kid thinks he can survey. I'll show him. You know, just like this really like just stuck in his ways, old dude. Uh, really nice guy. But anyway, um, he... <laughs> He probably thought that I was just this punk kid, and I can neither confirm or deny whether or not I was that punk kid. But I get out of the truck, and I start to set up the tripod to put the EDM on, which is uh, something that measures angles and distances, so it's a transit. And, we, and I get out, and I'm setting it up over our initial point, and I'm, I'm just going to prove myself, right? And so I'm used to a tripod that, that locks in three ways, um, instead of six, like this one, but I come to find this out later. But three ways, so there's three bolts you just tighten down to make sure it is nice and tight, so that way when you measure everything, your distances are accurate. So I tighten it up, I'm good to go. We do our traverse, we come back, we check in, we are off a good bit in our measurements. And I remember, while I was setting it up, this guy kind of standing back and kind of mumbling under his breath like, this guy, I don't think he knows what he's doing. We'll see how this goes. And I could hear him, and I, it, I could feel it, you know what I'm saying? And have you ever had somebody say, I told you so? Don't you hate that? He didn't even say that. He said, could have told you that was going to happen. And I just looked at him like, what, what? You know, feeling a little bit embarrassed. Here, this specific time, there was lever locks that tightened it down even more. So I thought I was doing a good job, but he saw something that I didn't see, and he didn't even say anything. He waited for me to mess up. Aren't you thankful that our pastor and good leaders and good leadership is willing to step out like Joshua does here and tell them all, hey, look, you guys are not able to do this. I don't know about you, but I would rather someone tell me I'm not able to do something and get my feelings hurt, even if it's in church, and know that it saved me, it saved me a lot of hassle. You know what I'm saying? I'd rather someone tell me that and hurt my feelings than me go through it all, feeling like I did a good job, feeling like I, you know, I was doing everything correctly, and then knowing that I missed the point. I missed the point of it all. Joshua's here, and I believe he's wanting them to realize, you guys, don't miss the point. We're in the promised land, but it's not about the land. It's about you. It's about you becoming the promise. Joshua has compassion and decides to speak up and warn the people about what they cannot see, the blind spots. This is why it's so important to be in connect group, guys. I, I know you've heard us talk about connect groups probably more than you would even like to admit, but it's so valuable to have somebody see something that you can't see and step in and say, look, don't go down that road. I've been there. You're about to go down that road. Don't do it. Don't do it. So the Israelites were, were really not being completely faithful to God. They still had trust issues. They still had idols in their lives. You know, I can't believe they still had idols in their lives after seeing what they saw. 
But how many of us still have things in our lives after we've seen God do miracles in our own lives? So Joshua questions their motive, and I believe, he, I believe that's exactly what we need to do this morning, is question our motives. Are we fearing the Lord? Are we serving Him with our whole hearts? And do we have idols in our lives? Because if we do, this is a recipe for disaster. This type of lifestyle always leads to self-destruction. So I think we need to heed this warning this morning. The Israelites here had fought for freedom their whole lives, but they still were not free. Imagine fighting for all of this land and Joshua standing up, your leader, and saying, there's one more enemy, and that enemy is you. I believe this morning, if there's anything that is holding us back, it very likely could be you that's holding you back. In order for you and I to step into our full potential and walk in freedom, to not just inherit the promised land, but to become the promised people, I believe we need to break the cycle of self-destruction. Amen? We need to be set free of me. Be set free of me. In order to be free, the best way is to come to the realization that it's not about me. Let's look at verse 21, how the people responded. So the people answered Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. You are a witness to your own decisions, Joshua said. You have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, they replied, we are witnesses to what we have said. All right, then, Joshua said, destroy the idols among you and turn your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. So he explains to them exactly how to be set free from themselves. The first thing we need to do is to acknowledge our sinful nature. In Romans chapter 3, verse 23, it says, For everyone has sinned, and we all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God, in His grace, freely makes us right in His sight. And He did this through Christ Jesus when He freed us from the penalty of sins. It's okay for us to admit this morning that we have issues, right? As a matter of fact, if there's anyone in here who says, I don't have any issues, we just found out, that's your issue, right? It's okay. And, and you know what? I'm reminded every day at my sinful nature when I'm screaming at my kids to stop screaming. Like, that makes zero Stop! Stop yelling! Be quiet! And they look at you like... Like, I'm instantly reminded of the fact that my nature is to be, like, it's my, in my nature to be sinful. It's natural. And so the first thing we want to do is develop this excuse, like, it's just, it's just natural, like, I'm just going to naturally sin, so we get as close to sin as we can. We're just like, it's just, it's just a natural thing. And it's like, okay, there are things that are natural that just because they're natural doesn't make them okay, okay? Right? Like, arsenic is natural, but if you drink it, it'll kill you. So just because it's natural, man, doesn't mean we need to fall into that trap, right? So that's our first instinct. It's our first excuse we come up with. But we all have issues, and it's actually healthy. Every recovery program starts with the step of, I need help. 
admit to yourself this morning, maybe you've never done this, just admit to yourself, I am not perfect, and man, do I need help. I'll be the first one in line to get to heaven and say, whoo, I did not think I was going to get here. Thank you, everybody. Ecclesiastes 7.20 says, not a single person on earth is always good and never sins, except for my wife. Bottom line, we are sinful and we need a Savior. And the second thing we can do to be set free of ourselves is not just put away, but he says, destroy your idols. I love the change of verbiage here. Putting something away means you can easily access it anytime you want. Even though he said, put them away forever. Like there's things that I thought I had put away forever, but they, they, sin has a way of creeping back into our lives. So I want us to learn this morning something that I learned this week. How can we put away something forever? Joshua says to destroy the idols in our lives. Anything that God, that, I mean, anything that does not honor God dishonors God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 21, it says, you cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and from the cup of demons, too. You cannot eat at the Lord's table and then go and eat at the table of the demons. In other words, you can't be both good and evil at the same time. You can't serve God and then serve the devil on the weekends, right? You can't do both because anything you do against God, you cannot then come back and serve God and then go back and you have to choose who you're going to serve. You cannot serve both good and evil. If you choose to serve the Lord, then he says you need to turn your hearts to God. Turn from the darkness of your past. I believe God desires a relationship with each and every single one of us. And every relationship requires faithfulness. There's not a, there's not a relationship you are in currently that is, that is healthy because of a lack of faithfulness. Your healthy relationships are a byproduct of a faithful person. Every relationship requires faithfulness. If God is not the Lord of all, he is not Lord at all. So one of the ways we can destroy these idols, this is something I learned this week. It's called the replacement method. I don't know about you, has, has anyone recently done the Daniel fast? I know beginning of the year, we do the Daniel fast. It's really good for your body, but it's also really good for your spirit. At the beginning of every year, we do 21 days of prayer and fasting. And I remember doing the Daniel fast. And I kid you not, day one of the Daniel fast, Monday morning, I show up at work. I go into the office, and there are glazed donuts for everybody. And I pulled my phone out, frantically hoping that my Daniel fast app said glazed donuts were approved. <laughs> I'm still looking because I'm really praying and hoping. And I looked at these glazed donuts, man, they look good. But here's what I did. I, I just wanted a peek. Like, I just, I saw them. I love glazed donuts. I've got black coffee. And I start my morning with black coffee. And, and it, well, it's actually creamer and then black coffee. But anyway, and, and I, you know what goes really good with coffee? is more sugar, like a glazed donut. Just saying. I don't know if you knew that. But so the glazed donut, like, I can't just go there and just kind of lean over and just be like, mm, that thing smells good. And then I'm like looking to get a better look. I'm, oh man, the glaze is like extra thick on that thing, dude. Oh my gosh. And, 
what I'm doing, what I think I'm doing is I'm resisting. But actually, I'm giving what I'm resisting all of my attention. And here's what I learned. Whatever you give your attention to gets you. If you think you're resisting, but you're spending all your time in the same relationship, spending your time in the same places, in the same rut, you think you're resisting, but what you need to do is replace. So what I did is the next time I was in that situation is I brought a Daniel-approved sweet snack in my pocket for that situation. Just a simple illustration. But when I saw what I wanted to resist, all I had to do was not just stand there and go, I'm resisting you. I'm res- mm, that smells good. I'm resisting you. Instead, I replaced it with something I knew was good for me. So repentance is not just stopping and staring at what you're resisting. The Bible says repentance means to turn the other way and then when you're a part of a local church that believes in you and loves you, it empowers you to take steps away from what you're resisting. Make sense? That is where the power lies in the Spirit of God. He's not just going to equip you and empower you to say no. He's going to equip you and empower you to say yes to the right things and to move forward and to take the steps to transformation. Somebody say amen. Amen. The next thing we do is we begin to feel sorry for ourselves with idols. We start to say, man, I'm just, I'm an addict. I can't help it. My dad was an addict. I'm an addict. I, I just, I, I, you know, I started smoking when I was young. Now I just can't stop. Okay, you're an addict. I get it. Addiction is not something that you can just, I, I understand that, but there's a better way. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 says this. For the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation. There's no regret for this kind of sorrow. But worldly sorrow, the, ah, oh, I'm just feeling sorry for myself. I, I can't do it. I can't do it. That kind of sorrow lacks repentance, and it results in spiritual death. So again, if you're focused on being an addict, instead of repenting and turning away from the addicted past and walking to the promised land, you will end in spiritual death. But if you turn, repent, it says the worldly sorrow which lacks repentance lacks in spiritual death, but there's a better way. It results in salvation. We have a group called Transformation here at at 201, and I've heard nothing but great testimonies from this group because it's doing exactly what we just talked about. It's men and women who decide, you know what? I'm not going there anymore. My past is over. I'm ready for a fresh start. I'm ready to recommit my life. And I'm not just going to resist. I'm going to replace that with the things of God. And I'm telling you, your potential explodes when you make that decision. The third thing that Joshua tells them to do is to follow your heavenly father. Enter into a relationship with him. And he calls them out in verse 24. After they talk to him, they say, we will serve the Lord our God. We will obey him alone. So Joshua responds with this. He says that he made a covenant with the people that day. The decision is now. They didn't put it off. They said, we're going to obey him. And he said, okay, today here at Shechem, we're committing ourselves to follow the decrees and the regulations of the Lord. God is seeking a covenant relationship with every single one of you. And I don't know, maybe, if you're here thinking, I, I've already committed my life to Christ. 
Well, so had the Israelites, but it's an opportunity this morning to recommit your life. But I know someone may be here that they have never, I mean, you have never even considered a covenant relationship with Jesus Christ. I don't know if it scared you. I don't know if it's made you, made you feel like you have to change who you are. But I'm here to tell you that when you enter this covenant relationship, you too become a part of the promise. And God is here to meet you right where you are. It is through a relationship with our Heavenly Father that we inherit the promise. And the moment we inherit the promise, we become the promise. And in becoming the promise, we enter into a partnership with our Lord. Romans 5 verse 11 says, So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. I believe someone needs to hear this right now. God has never and will never give up on you. It's not going to happen. And you're here this morning because you know you need a fresh start. I'm here to tell you that that fresh start can happen now. Will you stand with me, please? I pray you're willing this morning to enter into that covenant relationship. And what I'd like to do is I'd like to pray for that person who's ready to commit their life to Jesus Christ for the very first time. Would you bow your heads with me? Father God, Lord, we stand here in a moment where we are feeling your, your spirit, your power, your presence. God, we're not going to deny that what we're feeling right now is you. God, you're speaking to our hearts, and I choose right now. God, I choose to respond to your presence by choosing to follow you. God, I pray for every individual here who's ready to take that step. You can repeat this prayer after me. You can say it to yourself, Lord Jesus, I'm ready to follow you. I'm ready to commit myself wholly to you. God, I give you my whole heart. I fear you. I, I respect you. I honor you. And God, I'm ready to put away my idols. In this moment, I choose to follow you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.